Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Mark Boris, and this is Straight Talk. Nikos. Yasu, Mark, Marcos. Milas el nika? Ligo, ligo, ligo. Alam on the side, ligo with that Aussie accent. Liga, liga. Liga, liga. Nick Giannopoulos, the wog boy. In those days, in the 70s in Australia, you had to be in a gang. Oh, totally. Now, I try to explain to millennials it's really hard. I mean, you had the skinheads. The sharpies. Bogans. Yeah. And so, you know, then we became the wog boys. He single-handedly changed the meaning of the word wog. I'm, mate, I'm taking the piss out of the racists. When someone calls me a wog and they're not a wog, back, my hairs in the back of my neck go up. There are levels of racism, of course. But you've got to remember what racism is based on, ignorance. It's based on ignorance. Wog's Out of Work was holding up a mirror to that audience. And they loved it. Wow. And became the most successful non-musical Australian show in history. Is that right? That is a fact. And he's got plenty to say about who we are and where we're going. Both Screen Australia and Film Victoria, I went to them for for grant funding. They knocked me back. I'm really worried. I'm worried that the young Nick Giannopoulos, wherever they are out there, who have this crazy idea for a movie like I did for Wog Boy, are not going to get anywhere. It's a responsibility for everyone, in any capacity they choose, to give back. You have to give back. Nikos. Yasu, Mark, Marcos. How are you? What is it in Greek? Marcos. Marcos? Yeah. Milas Elenica? Ligo, Ligo, Ligo. Uh, Only sometimes. I love when they say Ligo with that Aussie accent. Ligo, Ligo. Ligo, Ligo. <laughs> do you, recognize- you know the keywords? I do know the keywords. Yeah. And do you well, recognise this place? Oh, mate, I sure do. I used to hang out here in the 90s. It used to be a little bar called Lotel. Yeah. yeah. In, in this changed building? A bit. It has changed a bit. Well, it was a bar. Do you remember who you might have met in those days? I met, uh, mate, I had a great night here in 93. I met uh, Michael Hutchins and Lenny Kravitz one night. That'd be mad. It was crazy. I've got a photo with both of them. It hangs up in my study wall. Um, it was pretty cool. Man, um, this this was a rockin' place. This was one of the hot hangouts in Sydney. It was. It was. But it, you had to be in the know, though. It wasn't like, you know, people come from all, you know, you had to be in the know. So it was very industry-based. Yeah. A lot of film people, rock and roll people. I mean, you always had Benny's. Remember Benny's? Yeah, I remember Benny's, Benny's, but that was on the other side. The other side. Yeah. But on this side, you had this joint and you had Round Midnight, which was really cool. You knew if you were Benny's, because you only could get there at 2 o'clock in the morning, you knew if you were Benny's, you are in trouble. Like, you, you're out too late. Yeah. You're pretty fucked up. Yeah. Correct, but uh, I made some great mates there. I met John Stevens there and we're still best mates. I remember yeah. one time I went there, Benny's, and uh, I can't remember the name of the guy who's staying in the joint. but um, Probably Benny, I'd say. Yeah, your name wasn't Benny. It was oh, something else. But, uh, um, but he ended up necking himself, the bloke, but uh, yeah, it was a mad, mad, mad drug addict. Um, and 
I remember one time I was standing there and uh, out come from the bathroom came uh, an ex-world title fighter. Um, I won't say his name. But he, he was a world title fighter and he was completely fucked. He'd been belted. Someone has gone and belted the shit out of him in there. Um, it was a pretty – it could get – Benny's could get pretty rough. That was on the other side of the It cross. was a rough joint. It was a rough joint. He was okay. No, he was classy. He yep. was classy. Round midnight was classy. And I'm trying to remember the little bar. We were trying to remember the one underground just around the cauldron. Yeah, I said the cauldron, but you said no. No, no, the cauldron was the nightclub. Oh, we yeah. all know cauldron, mate. Cauldron. Yeah. Mate, that was the wog boy hangout in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, we had to be wog to get in there. All I used to hear in the late 80s in Sydney and night, can you give me the cauldron? <laughs> Do you know the guy at the door at the cauldron? Nah, really? Could you get me in? And then, of course, after that came Hugo's. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's Hugo's right. Hugo's in 2000. That, yeah. You know, that was the hardest place Pete to get David Evans. The old David and Dave Causey, two yep. very good mates of mine. If they're listening, g'day boys. They've, and now, of course, they're in Manly. But uh, mate, I remember. Yeah, I, I've I've been I've been in I've been through all the stages. I've been here in the eighties, the nineties, the noughties. Um, and what do you call the period after the noughties? Now, <laughs> <laughs> now this is the twenty twenties. Yeah, twenty twenty. Another one of the tens. The, the tens. Twenty tens. I, 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 I have a blank in the tens. I yeah, don't know what the fuck bit, happened. Yeah. I could, you've launched a company called Yellow Brick Holidays. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you done your homework? Oh, look, uh, Mark, I'm a bit of a – I manage my own super fund, mate. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm not your average rock boy. I'm a little, I'm a bit savvy when it comes to business. Let me talk about, I've taught I, myself a lot, just I, uh, probably like all the wog boys. I want to know where they come from. Mate, I, had to, I have to teach myself. Everyone's ripping me off. So. You're, you're Melbourne-based, right? Like, I am. So I'm, just tell me, where, where, where did the wog boy thing come from? Mate, it came out of uh, growing up in uh, Melbourne in the 70s. And uh, go to a high school uh, that was, uh, you know, about ninety percent wogs and ten percent skips. Now you know what skips are. Yep, uh, they're the Skippy, the Bush Kangaroo. That's uh, that's what we started calling them. And uh, you know they started calling us wogs, even though we'd been born in Australia and we we're very much Aussie boys. And uh, we didn't really like it much. We didn't even know what a wog was. Um, there was a biscuit back then, and you could Google this called the Golly Wog Biscuit. I remember them. Arnott's used to make them. So. I remember going to my dad's milk bar after they first called me a wog, picking up a packet of the biscuits and going, oh, we look like these guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I couldn't work it out. What the, what's this wog thing, right? So anyway. Hey, wog, hey, you wogs. You smell, mate. Why well, you bring all that wog food to school? Missy, eat food smells. And we'd say, oh, yeah? Is that all you're going to eat all day, mate? That one piece of bread with that colour shit on top? Yeah, my mum, it's called Hundreds and Thousands. My mum cuts the crusts off. Would you like a, would you like a chocolate crackle? Would you like a gyros, mate? <laughs> you know, I mean, these kids would starve all day and we'd be really well fed, you know. So we just um, so we just started calling each other wog, you know, because um, we got sick of them calling us wogs. And it was a way, we, look, we didn't plan it. You know, we didn't sit down and have a meeting and go, right, now we're going to, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do reverse racism. We're going to call, no, we didn't do that. We just, uh, one day, one of my mates said, hey, you wog. And I went, yeah, yeah, wog. You know, we started making fun of them calling us wogs, if that makes sense. And so, you know, then we became the wog boys. Like like at that time at school? Yeah. And we were a gang, you know. And, mate, in those days, in the 70s in Australia, you had to be in a gang. Oh, totally. Mate. This country, I, I try to explain to millennials, it's really hard. I mean, you had the skinheads. Yep. You had the, the sharpies. Uh, the sharpies. Yep. Yeah, mate. You had the just the general bogans. Yeah. Uh, and it was a real pub rock and roll pub culture, right? Yeah. And mate, ten wog boys go in the city on a Saturday night. You better if you didn't know how to fight, you'd be in trouble. You know, you did. You had to fight. You had to know how to fight. Yeah. Because 
wherever we went, it, you know, any place we tried to get into, I mean, we'd go to a place in Melbourne called Southern Cross Bowling, right? Everyone used to bowl back then. You, hey, what are you walks doing in here? Fuck, F off. And we'd be like, uh, yeah, what are you skips going to do about it? And it was on, you know. That's how it was. We, done, we didn't understand why, you know. We didn't ask to be called walks. Was we it Italians or Greeks or was, is everything? No, everything. But this is the funny thing was they couldn't tell us apart who was Greek, who was Italian, mm. who was Turkish. So we were all walks. Anyone who had kind of like, you know, big eyebrows and olive-coloured skin or dark skin or anyone who didn't look like them was a walk, right? Um, so our gang was like Turkish guys, Italian guys, <laughs> all of Europe, <laughs> uh, Croatians, Serbians. Mind you, the Serbian Croatians in the gang didn't get on that well. There was a lot of stuff going back. And the uh, Cypriot guys and the Turkish guys didn't get, I mean, it's the 70s. You understand yeah, what yeah, I'm talking yeah, about, yeah. right? But, mate, the minute they called us WOG, it kind of unified us. And uh, we realised that regardless of our own internal European disputes, you know, Greeks versus Turks, Serbs versus Croatians, Italian versus Italian, if you, you, know, if you, get, yeah. if you know what I mean, we thought, no, you know what? S- together we're a force. Together we're something that can fight back. And that's what happened. And that was the 70s into the early 80s. So anyway, then um, so I'm, I, I moved out of Richmond. I... Uh, um, I didn't, you know, I lost all, you know, I didn't see my childhood friends. And then, of course, I went to um, two acting schools. Um, I spent five years studying acting. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to be a serious dramatic actor. What did your father say about that? Because, I mean, acting, is that, that a family thing? Uh, no, but uh, he's, I'll tell you a great story. So in year nine, I in drama class, my, my teacher, Sue Fabian, uh, took a real liking to him. She said, Nick, there's something about you. I don't know what it is, but, you know, you've got a lot of talent. She said, are you thinking about pursuing this as a career? I said, I said, well, look, I want to, but, you know, I don't know how my father would feel about it, you know. I think my dad wants me to take over the milk bar one day. We had a little milk bar in Richmond and we all lived above it. She said, okay. Two days later, she, without me knowing, she went to the milk bar. And uh, she said to my dad, I want to talk to you. She said, uh, listen, your son is really impressing me a lot. He's doing stuff, you know, in drama class. At this, at his age, which is really impressive, he's a terrific improviser. He's he's very creative. He's got you know an incredible imagination. He makes us laugh all the time. He does things that really blow the whole class away. Um, I'd like you to encourage him to you know if he wants to be an actor to allow him to do it. And he said, "Listen, when I was his age, I wanted to go to acting school. I wanted to be an actor, but my family was too poor." So they couldn't send me to the to the school in Greece. So I'd be very happy for my son to be an actor, just like he's dead. <laughs> and I never knew that. I never. My dad had never told me. You know, he's just too busy working all the time. Oh, this is for real. This is for real. Wow. My dad revealed to her because she was worried that my dad would stop me pursuing acting, and he said, "No, I wanted to be an actor, and it would be a dream come true for me to see my dad." Say sorry to see my son achieve my dreams that That's I couldn't cool. achieve. So on the day of my graduation in '85, he was man, he was bawling. You know, when I got my uh, degree in dramatic arts, it was the proudest day of his life because that's what he always wanted. But of course, you know, coming from a small village and you know part of Greece that was a long way from Athens, there was no that that opportunity didn't exist. Which part of Greece from? Uh, in the Peloponnesus region, in Peloponnesus, southern yeah, Greece, Kalamata. Yeah. Kalamata, down the, bottom, down the bottom. Down the bottom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Little village beautiful, outside of Kalamata. Beautiful place. Beautiful. 
So, you know, for my dad, what our parents did when they came out on those boats in the 50s and 60s was they left behind a very impoverished, very difficult life because that's Europe was after the war. Well, it was a civil war in Greece. It could, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, and what a lot of people don't know is there was a civil war that raged on for a long time between... Greeks uh, killing Greeks, nationalists versus communists. Exactly right, Mark. And so my dad and mum left Greece, as did millions of others, to make sure that their kids and their families wouldn't have to go through what they went through. So on this day of my graduation, um, my dad realised he'd made the right decision, you know, because in Australia you can achieve those dreams. Yeah. And he realised that very early on, that this was a country, and he used to tell it to, so he used to say to me all the time, he goes, Australia, if you work hard, and this is, a, well, this is something you'll hear all the wogs say, you know, if you work hard in this country, you can do anything. This country, if you want to work and not be a bladger, you can get anything. Anything. You can be anyone. And, of course, that wasn't the case in Europe. Europe was ruled by the ruling classes. Yeah. You know, they had monarchies. They, you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. In Europe, it's all about the establishment and the money. The it's, old a it's a class system. It's a very, very um, – uh, it's a five, six-hundred-year-old class system. So – this country, just like America, presented those opportunities. And, you know, my dad and mum worked two jobs, you know. Every, you know, they worked day and night. I hardly ever saw them. Um, they worked in that milk bar for 25 years, seven days a week. Mate, we didn't get Christmas off. We, we were open on Christmas Day because a lot of the people around our neighbourhood weren't Christians, <laughs> yeah. right? So there were a lot of Muslims, yeah. you know, a lot of Asians. And uh, they wanted their milk and bread. So we never, my, two things that ever happened with my family when I was a kid, never had a holiday with them. I never went away anywhere with my family, you know, um, and we never had Christmas um, with the milk bar closed. That was my life, seven days a week. But you know what? That work ethic, uh, watching them work how they did, as the years went on, I started to realise that was for us. That was for us. They did it for you, you mean? Yeah, for their kids. How many kids? For us. How many to kids? To set up a life. How many kids? Brother and sister? Uh, me and my sister, yeah. You and your sister. You know, my dad sadly died last year and uh, before he died, he, um, he you know, called me over and he said, uh, you're not going to pay the funeral. I said, Dad, please let us not talk about that. No, he goes, no, no, listen, come here. He was very ill. He had pancreatic cancer. The fact that he could summon up the energy to tell me this was extraordinary. And he said, you go to my bedroom under the bed, I've saved all the money for my funeral. Yeah. Cash. Cash, of course. Mate, regardless of how well I'd done in my career, there was still an obligation on him, because this is the sort of people they are, to pay for his own funeral. He didn't want to put his kids out, you know, yeah. paying for it. So, mate, he had saved on the pension. He would take... $30, $40 out of that pension every week and put it in this brown box. And he had he had put together $30,000, which worked out to be exactly what we needed. He'd actually worked it all out. So that to me was an extraordinary gesture, an extraordinary thing. And that was indicative of the sort of people they were, you know. They never wanted to put their kids out, you know. It was always about providing for the kids. And it, 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 what of your dad's influence do you put into – all the movies, like like what elements First from growing up is your dad? His generosity of spirit. People come to the milk bar and, um, you know, they're 
Social Security check hadn't come in or they couldn't afford to buy the bread and milk, my dad would say, don't worry, take it. Pay me when you're ready. So he's taught me how to be responsible for your community. That whichever community you were a part of, if you had the means and ways of helping that community, you helped them. Because he came from a village that was occupied by the Nazis for five years. He had to sing the German national, the Nazi anthem at school every morning. My dad knew German. He knew Nazi German. So that world, they never wanted that to happen ever again, you know, and they knew what poverty meant. So he would go out of his way to help people he didn't even know in the smallest way, you know. Some, and, and you know what? I think half of those people never actually repaid him, but, he, you know, he didn't chase them down. Well, he didn't do it for that reason. He didn't do it for that reason. Yeah. No. He did it because he knew what it, what it meant to be hungry. And so I guess he taught me the value of working hard, saving, because he said to me, the only way you make money is to save money. Mm. And I didn't appreciate that until I was much older. In my 20s when I started making some really bad investments and just, you know, you know, not really, not reading stuff properly, not doing my due diligence, you know, just sort of giving money here and giving money there, get rich squeak, get rich scheme here. No, 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 no. The old wogs knew, mate, that nothing comes easy. And as life goes on, it becomes very clear that nothing comes easy, that without the hard work and that ethic my dad had where he got up 5 o'clock every morning and brought the milk in, you know, to have the milk bar open by six o'clock and he would keep it open till 10. That stayed with me. So people say to me, 35, 36, they say, how have you done? How, how have you managed the TV shows, the stage shows, the movies? I said, I like working. I actually enjoy it. I like getting up in the morning and working because that's all I know. That's what I grew up around. And and and, and I think a lot, a lot, a large part of my success is that work. Ethic. And and in terms of the, thematic, so like you said, uh, gratitude or, um, um, you know, like uh, – other what are other themes that you think you got out of being around your father, or maybe it was your cousins, your uncles, your aunties, or just your Greek, the Greek community? Yes. How much of that has been imported into the movies and or to the stage yeah, shows? All of it. All of it. My movies are all about community. And I know you get up there and you, you put on the voice, the accent, and you yeah, know yeah. you take the piss out a little bit. But there no, are I'm not, themes. I'm taking, I'm, mate, I'm taking the piss out of the racists. I'm taking a piss out of the ra- racism. Yeah. What I, I, you know, when when I make jokes about my community, they're, they're from the inside out. They're not from the outside looking in, yeah? I'm not con the fruiterer. Yeah. I'm not dressing up, you know, I'm yeah, not yeah, an yeah. Australian guy. Dress- no, I'm, I'm telling our stories. Well, can you explain the difference between con the fruiterer and what you do then? Because a lot of people the, would know well, that. that was an Anglo-Saxon actor being a… Uh, 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 he used to be Arnie Jack. He used to play the role of Arnie Jack on No, 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 that was Graham Bond. That was okay, else. that's not Graham Bond. That's so, another… What's Graham that? Bond was Arnie Jack. No, no, yeah. no, uh, uh, Mark Mitchell. Mark Mitchell, that's it, yeah, the, yeah. a fair-haired guy. Yeah, and he did a great job, yeah. but it's a, that's an impersonation. Yeah. No, no, the characters, whether it was Acropolis Now, Wogs Out of Work, the movies, they come from real people. They come from real situations that I've been a part of, you know, real life. But, of course, being comedy, I mean, you can't do it in a dramatic way. You've got to… You've got to exaggerate in some way, yep. yeah? That's the nature of comedy. So, but within my comedy, you'll always find there's a very strong political message. Anyone who comes and sees my new film, Wog Boys Forever, will see that very clearly, as clear as anything. And the central theme to everything I've done is about identity. Because when I was growing up in Australia, I, didn't, I, I couldn't work out what my identity was. 
You didn't know where you belonged? No, because they'd call me a wog here. I'd go to Greece, they'd call me a kangaroo. Yeah, yeah. Here, piss off wog. Greece, piss off kangaroo. Hey, where do you want me to go? I didn't know where I belonged. I didn't understand. And I also didn't understand why I was being so marginalised. I mean, I didn't know that word back then. I know it now. Why we're always pushed to the sides. Why we're never taken seriously. Why we're never given respect. And I realised in this country you've got to earn your respect. It's a hard, tough country. You can't demand it. No. It's a hard, tough country. The elements, you know. Yeah. It makes people tough. And there's a line in Wog Boys Forever, which is one of my favourite lines, where I meet a young Congolese kid, a young Congolese kid, and he's being ridiculed by his Aussie mates. And I sort of, without spoiling the movie, I have a crack at the mates and sort of put him down, you know, stand up for him. And uh, I say, his name's Ruben. I say, Ruben, you know what I did when I when they used to call me a wog? I put wog boy on my number plate just to stick it up. And he goes, oh, they let you do that? I say, yeah, of course. I said, mate, this country, all new arrivals cop shit. It's just the way it is. But what you got to do is you got to keep knocking on that door real hard. And one day they'll let you in. That's my favourite line in Wog Boys Forever. But that actually, and this but young Congolese kid, the actor, looks up at me, right, with this, this amazing expression. I said to him on, on the premiere night, I said, you know, that was a wonderful performance. He said, mate, I wasn't before me. I was really listening to you. Yeah. Well, actually, I was then too because it's funny. I mean, I grew up in the same environment. I grew up in the West of Sydney though. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Greek, Greek family, et cetera. Yeah. And uh, the same applied to me because of the surname and food we took to school, et cetera. But – um, and and I was also in a gang, but it wasn't called Wog Boys. But I never really thought about it as racism. I never thought about it uh, like I did know it at the time. You were called a Wog. But I didn't think of it as racism. I never knew really what racism was. And in the future, like later in my years now, I never when I look back at that period, I never think of it as racism. Do you think that racism back in the 70s, in, in my case it was in the 60s and 70s, um, is equivalent to the racism that we see today about um black people or Asians or whatever? Is it equivalent or is it much more intense now? Look, I mean, it affected a lot of us psychologically and, and was very traumatic. I mean, there are levels of racism, of course, but you've got to remember what racism is based on, ignorance. Mm. It's based on ignorance. So it's all about ignorance. Um, but look, this, look, I would love to live in a world where there's none of that and I think we've got a long way to go to achieve that. Whether it's sport, whether it's anything really, I mean, look at what sports going through at the moment. You know, yeah. look what indigenous footballers have gone through in this country. Um, racism, in its entirety, needs to be completely wiped out, and it's something we have to keep educating people on, and it's something that people who've been subjected to any type of racism need to be vocal about and very honest about. And I'm. Absolutely rapt to see all these Indigenous footballers doing that now, you know, on television and for the first time being actually listened to, yeah, and respected. And that's all myself, you or anyone would ever want, just for people to listen to our stories and learn from those stories, you know, to try and create a world where that stuff can stop happening, where we can truly learn to respect each other regardless of race, creed, colour, whatever, yeah? Yeah. That's all it is. And here I am, 22 years after the first Wild Boy film, and it hasn't gone away. It's manifested itself in different ways. But, the, but now they see the Greeks. Go talk to African kids, talk to Asian kids. Yeah, but, but we're okay. Now. Well, 
we're okay because we're four or five generations in there. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Some of us have changed our surnames. Yeah, yeah. Know? Some yeah. of us have, you know, um, intermarriage. You know, there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. And also we're – and I think money's got a lot to do with it. I mean, don't forget it, the 60s and 70s were working class. Yeah, yeah. Totally. We worked in the factory. You know. And my dad worked in the factory, yeah. And, you know, once – the, you know, once you get up on the wealth scale, things sort of change. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah. People tend to accept you a lot more when you're rich. Yeah. <laughs> as opposed to being, you know, I mean, my mother worked as a clean after the milk bar worked as a cleaner for twenty years. You know, my mother could have all the money in the world and she'd still feel uncomfortable about walking through the front door. You understand that? Yeah, yeah, I do yeah. understand. That. So yeah. you got to respect that. You got to respect how the class system works. Even in Australia, and they say we're an egalitarian society. Well, are we? Really? You think so? Not if you grew up in the west of Sydney, mate. Sure well, they, they still feel like that out there now. As they should. But, but they're, they're, it's probably not the Italians and Greeks or whatever, or it's, but it's the Lebanese, the Asians, sure. your Indigenous sure. First Nations people, and now we have a lot of Africans, North African yes, people we as do. well. And uh, and and I, I guess it, that, and that's the same issue in Melbourne. And these kids are growing up in gangs. They're yeah, growing yeah. up with full of hatred for, because they've been shut out. It feels like it's more intense today, though. Nico, well, uh, no, mate. It, it was, mate. It's just, it's better documented. Yeah. There are more cameras now. You got a camera. I got a camera. Everyone's got a yeah, camera. Yeah, right? yeah. The social media things are. No, it was terrible in the seventies, mate. It was terrible. You know, we we had to develop a sense of humour and a way of laughing at it just to get through it. And having said that, a lot of my mates didn't get through it. A lot of my mates, you know, suffered a lot because of it, and there are little scars. I mean. It's interesting that word wog, you know, because I've used it so much in my shows. There's a level of society in our country now that feels it's okay to use that word wog, you know, to call us wogs. When someone calls me a wog and they're not a wog, back my hairs in the back of my neck go up because I'm remembering those people in the 70s call me a wog, yeah? Mm. So, no, I'm not, I'm not saying – I've never said let's all go out and call each other. No, not at all, not at all. So when people say to me, is it, is, is it still an offensive word? I said, of course it's offensive. It's extremely offensive. You've got to understand what my humour is about. It's not about giving you permission to use the word. Far from it. Far from it. I'm highlighting the ironies of racism, how ridiculous it is. But words do hurt. They can hurt and they do leave scars. And they've left scars on me. They've left scars on all the people I've grown up with, you know, and we survived, you know, we survived. And I, we're all sort of proud of that. When I get together with my mates from that era, we all look at each other and go, we made it. You know, you know that sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We kind of got through it. It's sort of a club, it's a club too. You no, know, we got through it, man. Yeah. We got through it and we, we succeeded against all odds. But with the, the, the use of comedy um, against racism, I mean, some great comedians, stand-up comedians use that all the, the time The best now. comedians do it. Yeah. Um, and you're doing it in your shows, movies and shows. And, and uh, how hard is it to produce this and write this and uh, put it together such that, that, A, you get your message across, but at the same time it's funny to all audiences? Well, comedy is very hard. It's very hard. Um, and the ones, whether it's a Dave Chappelle, and I'm talking about now, yep. whether it's a Ricky Gervais or in the old days, my idols, Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, um, all the way back to a Jewish comedian called Lenny Bruce. Um, if you study the history of comedy, it's littered with performers who did challenge the system, um, who paid a heavy price for it. Lenny Bruce went to jail. 
Lenny Bruce uh, used uh, the word kike on stage and a few other words uh, which were uh, illegal at the time in the 50s and ended up going to jail over it. But what he was trying to do was break down. See, the thing is when Lenny Bruce started just saying the word and putting it out there, it wasn't hidden anymore. It wasn't this dirty little thing, you know. And that's how I felt about the word wog. And one of my biggest inspirations um, before I wrote Wogs Out of Work were the rap rap um, artists coming out of America in the 80s, um, NWA being the most obvious one. Um, they put out some stuff in 86 which which really inspired me. You know, I can't say that word, but you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Um, and when I bought that CD in 86, the NWA CD, and I was listening to those and I was going, man, I love this. I love this. These are a bunch of guys from South Central LA who said, you know what? We're sick of the cops beating us up. We're sick of being, you know, I mean, it was a, the, it was a massive Black Lives Matter movement, mm. you know, which wasn't called that in the day. Yep. So these artists, these kids who grew up on the streets of South Central took back that power, you know, and they revolutionised their communities to fight back. I guess in a weird way, that's what Wog's Out of Work was. It was about me saying, no, nah. no, nah, I'm sick of it. I'm putting it out there, all right, and I want anyone who's ever been called a Wog or anything of the sort to come to these shows and laugh with me. Laugh with me while I'm on stage at how stupid these other people are and how ridiculous the whole concept is and how whatever they call us, whatever they did to us, we've survived, we're thriving, we're good. That's what Wogs Out of Work was. That's why it ran for three years right around Australia. Sure, there was a you, – you could go along to it and just laugh your head off at, you know, the jokes. and the But people got what the inherent message was. Yeah. You know, that you're not going to fuck with us anymore. In fact, when we come up here to Sydney, the Opera House tried to stop me from putting up the Wogs Out of Work billboard on the forecourt. Yeah. Why? So, well, I mean, well, I'll no. tell you, because they found it offensive. We've had a meeting here at Sydney Opera House Trust and we find it offensive. I said, I oh, do you. Right. When you when you guys were calling us wogs, was that offensive? Did you find that offensive? No, no, no. We're, you called us wogs, now we're calling ourselves wogs. That's what that is. It's not offensive. It, that's what it is. And here's the other thing, mate. A wog designed the Opera House and I'm pretty sure wogs built it. <laughs> that's wog labourers for sure. A hundred percent. Especially the Tylers and the Concreters. A hundred percent. So why can't Wogs play there? Well, there was a guy at the time, he was a public servant. His name was Dr. Paolo Tatara. He was the public servant head of immigration. And they asked him, uh, one of those current affairs shows interviewed us and they went to him with a microphone and said, what do you think about this whole controversy? He said, well, at work they call me Super Wog. <laughs> <laughs> and God bless you, Dr. Paolo Tatara, because that the next day – they, they picked up the phone and called us and said, oh, you can uh, begrudgingly, oh, you can uh, uh, keep the billboard. And, man, that was a massive breakthrough. That was Sydney Opera House. We had wogs out of work on the front of it, you know, the establishment. And we played at that theatre for another um, three months. Sold out every night. In fact, that controversy was the biggest favour they could have done us because if there wasn't a wog who'd heard about the show, they now had. And why did the Wogs um, turn up in droves? Because they got it. They knew, you know, they knew what a Wog boy like me was doing. I wasn't making fun of them. I was making fun of the racists. And they came, man. They came. I could hear, you know, 
Every night in my, from my dressing room, we could hear the Monaros arriving. <laughs> and, you know, we spoke about uh, those elements of, you know, what we what I called wog culture, you know, how we were different, how our communities were different, you know, how we had our own kind of way of looking at things. Amongst your cast as well, the cast on board? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, Simon Palomaris and Maria Portesi, Mary Kustis who joined us later, George Capagnaris who joined us later. Yeah, we, uh, we were a bunch of actors. I mean, when I graduated from the VCA, the Victorian College of the Arts, one of the most prestigious acting schools in Australia, you have to audition to get in, right? I was the first person of Greek origin to graduate. This is 85. Vince Colosimo was probably the first Italian two years later. So I was the first wild boy to graduate from the VCA. And uh, I spent that first year, 86, uh, pretty much out of work because I, I'd go to these casting sessions and they'd say to me, oh, we can't put you in anything for 1950. I go, why? They go, there were no Greeks here before 1950. Are you sure about that, mate? You know? And at that time, all they were making was Man from Snowy River. Could you imagine me and Man from Snowy River? <laughs> Cooper on my hat. Yeah, no white really. horse with furry dice hanging off it. You know? Yeah! <laughs> and Neighbours. Neighbours. Hmm. Could you imagine me living on Ramsey Street? The only street in Australia that never had a Wog family on it. No that wonder the English love that show. I yeah. tell you, if you want a fantasy world of white people all getting along and living together, neighbours. Mate, you'd look at Ramsey Street and you go, where the fuck is that street? Because <laughs> it wasn't my street. You know what I mean? It wasn't the street you grew up totally in. Totally not my street either. In fact, what fucking street in Australia was it? There ain't any streets in Australia without at least one element of multiculturalism. Am I wrong? Yeah, I mean, I don't remember a street growing up where I grew up anyway. No. There's no, no streets so, like that. You know, this show is on TV every night. There we are in our lounge rooms, all us, you know, people who weren't white or Anglo, going, yeah, where the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, this this is what Australia was like. So there was no work for me, mate. There was nothing for me. To, they'd give me bit parts as um, sleazy wog guys who try to pick up the Aussie guy's girlfriend and get knocked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I played that role in a show for Crawford School Primetime, my first ever job. I played a sleazy wog guy at a, at, a, at a party who tried to pick up the Anglo girl and the Aussie boyfriend came and knocked me out. I swear to God. But is, is it, 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 did you therefore decide to create your own show? Of course I did because I said, I'm not going to do this shit where they're stereotyping us and turning, you know. We were the villain, you know, we were either taxi drivers, fish and chip shop, you know. I said, fuck this shit, you know. So what I did, mate, was, um, yeah, my first Melbourne Comedy Festival came along and uh, Simon Palomaris, myself and Maria Portesi decided to create a show called Wogs Out of Work. And it was a, it was a fleeting comment I'd made a year earlier where I said we should form a lobby group called WOW and march to camera. And, and Simon said, wow, yeah, Wogs Out of Work. And it stuck with Simon. He never forgot it. So a year later he came out to me and said, we should, that thing, that thing you said, Wogs Out of Work, we should turn that into a show. Wogs Out of Work being, in your case, actors out of work. Correct. Yeah, okay. Because that's, that's how that, we felt. Yeah. That's how I felt. Yeah, yeah. So from a joke, it became a show. Very first Melbourne comedy Did film. you ever think to yourself, though, particularly in relation to Melbourne, that you will attract the Greek community, big community? Well, was that, mate, like, was that your audience coming? Mate, I thought they were going to kick us out of the country. <laughs> yeah. I thought, you know, but here's the funny thing. Here's what happened. Uh, so we were in a 40-seat theatre when we started. We used to have to bump in our own set right? And on the first night, we had all the committee members from the comedy festival, you know, all the, oh, yes, yes, very good. Always, we, you know, all the intellectuals. Yes, I see what you're doing. It's like a reverse racism. 
Yeah, no laughs. They were just, mm, just kind of naughty and, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. Kind of, you know, arty types, right? Oh, uh, fuck. But, mate, the word got out. And on the second night, <laughs> they were there, right? And that second night, that second show, I'll never forget it because for the first time ever, I was performing in front of a group of people from my community and they got every joke. Right, they're sitting there with their gelled up hair. Never been, probably never been in theatre before. In fact, one guy rang that day and said, "Oh, what time's the show screening tonight?" <laughs> Mate, never been to a theatre. Yeah. Even though as Greeks we invented theatre, they'd never been to a theatre. Right. So they're sitting there, and I'll never forget it, man. There was, you know, the girls had the high hair like Effie. You, yeah, know? you yeah. could smell the hairspray. The guys with the tight jeans. You know, you could see a map of Greece there. You know, <laughs> little fruit shops hanging out there, and like. And the characters we were playing in the show were in the audience. So it was literally like Wog's Out of Work was holding up a mirror to that audience. And they were probably seeing themselves that way on a stage for the very first time in their lives. And they loved it. They loved it to the point where Wog's Out of Work ended up playing to 650,000 people over three years. Wow. And became the most successful non-musical Australian show in history. Is that right? That is a fact. That is a fact. I, may I did. I did about one and a half thousand shows. We used to do seven, eight shows a week, nonstop. We, we went to 40 different cities around Australia. At one point, it was so popular, we had two different companies, two companies. We had to go find some more wogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give them a job. You know, you're not a wog out of work anymore. You're in wogs out of work. Come on. And yeah, we had two companies touring the country nonstop. Mate, every wog in the country was turning up to this show. Because you've got to understand that, you know, the amazement at that, oh, wow. Yeah, I, I actually get this. I know, I know exactly what they're doing. This is funny. So that's what happened, man. For, for me, for me as a kid watching it, a young man watching it, I just felt like it was so cool that you sort of legitimise who I was. You legitimise the name, the word. Uh, you know, in, in my particular case, we're both Greek. So you know, and I, and I, I get the whole story you said about you know where your family came from and being occupied and, and the civil wars. That's exactly why my father came to Australia in '48. Same reason his five brothers. Uh, they were poor as church mice. They were occupied by the Germans. So for me, when I saw this, it was a revelation. Like, I went, fuck, so cool. I, I loved yeah. it. And you met my son outside, my oldest boy. He's yeah, 40, yeah, he's yeah. 40s. And he said the same thing. Like, he, he's grown up as identifying as a Greek. Yeah. And his brothers as well. He's got Great. three brothers. But yeah. they, they, I just should say to everyone who's watching, my son, I, t- I, t- I was outside the studio. I said, I'm meeting Nick Janopoulos. And he said, Oh, fuck, Dad. He said, can I get a photo with him? He said, I really want to meet him. And it's very hard to impress him. He doesn't normally get impressed, but he That's hung cool. around. So he said, oh, there he is. He's up there. He spotted you getting out of the car or whatever you're doing. So, you know, I th- I think actually, when now you put it the way you put it, um, I never really thought about uh, racism as such. I've always thought about classism in this country, but I never really thought about racism. But when you put it the way you put it, I, I never thought it through, but it actually resonated with me. It worked. And, it, and it, you legitimized me. And I think it legitimise a lot of people. I wonder whether there's anything different between the Sydney audience though and the Victorian or Melbourne audience. Oh, Sydney laugh harder. Sydney yeah. audiences are awesome. You know, you've got such a great history in Sydney with all your leagues, clubs. I mean, people go a lot yeah, yeah. in Sydney, you know, um, and a lot of comedy. I mean, I've won two Mo Awards in Sydney. Yeah, in um, terms of you talking about because of the venues? For, yes. Um, I, as a live performer, the only the only awards I've ever won are here in Sydney with the Mo Awards. Remember the Mo Awards? Yeah, yeah, I do. the Cabaret Awards. Yep. And I loved your Cabaret. I mean, back then – it was thriving. Your cabaret scene and live music scene was thriving here. I mean, Melbourne had the pub rock scene and all that, you know, in the kind of fringe theatre scene. Little River Band, blah, blah, blah. 
Yeah. But you guys had a pumping cabaret scene. Yeah, yeah. You know, you really did. Not now, though, I don't think. Not now. Sadly, no. Yeah. The Mo Awards are no more. I used to go to those Mo Awards. There'd be Ricky May, you know, Rhonda Birchmore. I mean, you know what I mean? It was so cool. You know what? Can I just say? So cool. Nick, Rhonda Birchmore lived next door to me. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up with her. Her sister, Michelle, Amazing. was my girlfriend. Amazing. And then then later on it became Rhonda was like my girlfriend, like, like you know, like young kids. She And uh, she's she was fantastic, Rhonda. She's, she's she made that, so many great artists in Sydney during that period. Totally. When I first came up here in the 80s. And I used to stay at the Siebel, right? Yep. Man. Just around the corner. Yeah, man. That was a joint. That was a joint. Uh, man, that bar. Ricky May used to come how on. How good was Ricky May? He used to come play piano down there. That yep. little bar there. I used to love listening to him sing. He man, come, we come from the show and Ricky May would be at the piano. How good is this hotel? Yeah, yeah. Mate, it was just something else. I mean, every night there'd be a visiting celebrity staying there, like rock stars, pop stars, you know? There was a real vibe and energy about that. Lounge was getting thrown over the balconies and out the windows. <laughs> but that, that was a great – that hotel, I don't even know if it exists these it was, days. There was a vibe in – King's Cross had a yeah, vibe. Man. Yeah, yeah. There was a vibe I'd never seen. I was so excited when I first came to the cross. We didn't have anything like that in Melbourne, you know. Real electricity, a real vibe and just – Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Lots of different types of people that I'd never seen in my life, you know, at that age, early 20s. You know what I mean? I was like, you know, I'd never seen prostitutes on the street. But I was like, you know. Well, not in a Melbourne thing? No. no, mate. No. Well, yeah, but sort of in Melbourne it was like hidden in the side streets of St Kilda. Here it was out in the open. Oh, no, totally. The strip clubs, the thing, I was like, what is going on? I mean, you, 80s the cross, yeah? Was, yeah, yeah. Mate, it was it was a jungle. Yeah, yeah. It was but it was exciting. It was yeah, exciting. No, it totally exciting. I mean, I live in the West Suburbs, but I couldn't wait to get in the cross. I mean, yeah. like 17, 18, I was coming in all the time. The cars used to line up right down William Street. You know, there was a queue. We couldn't, when we were coming back from the Enmore, because we were staying at the Hampshire in uh, in um, in Keller Street, um, it was a hotel in New Hampshire. I think it was Keller, Springfield yeah. Avenue, sorry. Springfield, Springfield Avenue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apologies, Springfield Avenue. Um, we, we took us two hours to get back from the Enmore because that left-hand turn into the yep. cross, up you know, the Coca-Cola. Up towards Coca-Cola sign. That was all the way back to the city. Yeah, jam-packed. Jam-packed. Everyone was going to the cross. And they've and they've started from like the city. And they got the heads out of the car. You know what I mean? It was just crazy. I've never seen anything like it. Sydney really kind of. Those are the Abe Saffron days. I ended up unreal. living here for a few years. I loved it. You, you lived here for Yeah, what? I lived here at the Alan, the Alan Hotel. Lived yeah, yeah. For a couple of, yeah, a few years. Yeah, I loved it. Mate, the cross was pumping. It was pumping. But just Sydney was pumping. It was a real energy to this town. So you're, let's just talk about Wild Boys Forever. Like Please. I looked at the trailer. It looks yeah. pretty fucking cool. It looks funny. It, um, yeah. And it's going to, I mean, I'm going to, 
when it's funny it, when, with a lot of heart and a good message. Yeah, okay. So let's just talk about the heart in it and the and the message because I mean, sure. I looked at the trailer and they, as you would expect, they they dress the trailer up as all the stuff you would expect to see out of Wog Boys doing something. Yeah. Um, more in particular, you doing something. Um, you know, the, the music and the whole sort of stuff, the dancing yeah. and the carrying on. But tell me about the message behind it. The heart. All right. So the it. first Wog Boy film is Dude with a Problem. Yeah. Right. It's about a guy who gets blasted as Australia's biggest doll bludger. Gets taken on by the Mr. Minister for Employment. Yep. Uh, who ends up trying to destroy him and he ends up destroying her. Second one is the full triumphant. The Greek boy from Australia who goes back to his village or his island in this case, Mykonos, yep. and the Rallos try to rip him off. Okay. With their with his inheritance. Yep. I remember. Full triumphant. Yep. This one is rites of passage. This one is about the Wog boy finding himself in his midlife years. Still um, not married. Well. Exactly right. His life, the, the the Greek girl you see him with in Mykonos is no more. She's left him. Um, he's driving a cab. He's had a massive fallout with Frank, Vince Colosimo, for eight years and completely lost his mojo. He's completely lost in the world. This is where we first find him. With a glimmer of the old walk boy in the first sequence, which I won't give away, all right, which that little glint in his eye is still there, but the fire's inside him no longer burning. And... The story starts there and it, and it takes us through this journey where, again, I'm, I'm trying really hard not to spoil the um, the film for people who are going to see it. But it starts in a place you don't expect it to start. But where it ends is the complete opposite of that. It's about a guy who needs to learn how to bring out the best of himself. And there's life lessons he has to learn, as we all do. All of us have life lessons we need to learn, Okay things we've done wrong in the past, stuff that didn't go quite right. And if you don't learn those life lessons, your life will not get better. And this is what the Wog Boy finds. Is there much of you in it? Like, I mean, Mate, I know you're in all of us. Better. It's all of us. No, okay, so. It's all of us as we approach. Look, it's me because I'm in my middle. Of course, there's a lot of me in the Wog Boy. But look, I'm just talking to you today. You'll see I'm not the I'm not Steve Karamitzas. Yeah. Steve Karamitzas is a combination of a whole bunch of guys I grew up with, you know, and representative of a whole bunch of stuff. And it's a movie, yeah? But, of course, you know, I'm the writer of the film, so obviously everything comes from me. And producer. And producer, yes. Yep. So, yeah. So, look, it's uh, it's got a lot of heart uh, because um, um, there's a lot of stuff about family in this because you can't make a Wogboy film that's not about family. Um, and, again, without spoiling it, uh, there are moments that are very sad in this film because in the third Wogboy, as they've grown up, um, they've started to realise that life isn't just all about laughs and mucking about, even though there's still a lot of that. There are still moments in life that really do take you back and make you reassess. And as you get older, you start to understand and appreciate that, you know. Things you took for granted when you were younger start to mean a hell of a lot more as you get older. And, yeah, and the Wog Boy took a lot of things for granted and that's one of the lessons he has to learn. Does he... Do, do, do th he took his friendships for granted, his relationships for granted, his family for granted. You know, and, and as the things his fathers told him in the past, do they start to come yes. to roost? Well, you will see that when you say yes. Yeah, yeah. all of that stuff. Yeah. It's very much about, like I said, rites of passage. It's about, hey mate, time to grow up. But racism is not an underlying theme. Of course, it is. It is. It is very much so. Um, it is very much so, and. Uh, the bad, the bad guy character, the bad person character in this film, 
is the daughter of uh, Raylene Beaglethorpe, the Minister for Education in the first film. Her kids, Brianna and Clayton, have grown up and are seeking revenge for what Steve did to their mother. So hidden behind all the other issues Steve's having, these two are seriously plotting to destroy his life. So not only does he have to deal with all the things he's personally got wrong in life, he now has to deal with this, this, um, this enemy, this woman who's come out of nowhere, these two kids he hasn't seen since they were young kids who want to avenge what happened to their mother. And she's also an extreme right-wing politician who has a party called Put Australia First Again. Wow. And she's advocating a direction for Australia that obviously I totally disagree with because I made her the bad person. So the film's very much about, so it's a long, you know, sort of Trumpy in a little bit, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean, in a sense. Well, that's quite interesting given what's just happened in the recent Italian elections. Yes, indeed. Um, you know, the brothers. Because there is a swing back to that stuff. Yeah, no, totally. To autocracy and to, and you know, and you've got to be very, mate, I'm not saying that Trump or anyone, I'm not saying that, but you've got to be careful, you know, because when you start leaving people behind, yeah, when you start kind of um, labelling people, you know, in, in your country or community as a certain type, you know, they're going to get picked on and shit's going to happen, right? Or when you start proposing agendas that only that are only good for certain people in our country and not others, yeah, well, then you're becoming very, very extreme. And, uh, and when you stop listening, to your voters and the people who are voting for you and you decide to come up with your own agendas, well, that's dictatorship. That's fascism. But does it, has any of this and been... That's, and Europe, Europeans know more about fascism than anyone. Totally. Does any of this, was any of this inspired by watching what happened in, in Victoria America. or Victoria? No. More recently? America, America and Europe. And, you, and, and US. Europe. So and more the Trump period. Le Pen in yep. France, you know, the way she's turned on the Marine, African communities. Totally. Mate, and all, what and has elevated herself into a position. We've got power. to be careful here. We've got to be careful. This history has a tendency to repeat itself. Yeah, yeah. And Nazi Germany happened for one very specific reason. He turned the country against a whole race of people, you know, mm. and convinced them that they were responsible for the Great Depression, which of course was absolute bullshit. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So you've got to be very careful. History's taught us a lot of lessons, and if we don't listen to history and. Uh, understand the lessons of the past, we'll make those mistakes again. And I'm very fearful that in this country, um, in fact, Europe as well, you know, that those mistakes will happen. That's what I'm most fearful of but as it, I get older. But, but the it, rise of uh, autocracy and fascism. But are you, are, you, are you worried about it in relation to Australia or are you just trying to tell us something, talk to all of us and say, look, we should keep a good eye on what's Here's going on Here's what I'll Europe. say. I think... I mean, there was an interesting story the other day about how we've become the richest people in the world. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's you, – despite how much money you make or how much money your house is worth or how rich you become in life, you can't turn your back on your community or your people. My dad taught me this. You know, for as much as you make or how, for however successful you've been, you've got to give back. Mm. It's a responsibility for everyone in any capacity they choose to give back. You have to give back. You have to mentor. You have to teach. You have to give, whether it's cash, whether it's your time, your, whatever it is, whether it's helping feed home, whatever it is. My dad taught me that. And I think that's an important thing that we must teach our kids and we must keep 
talking about and making sure that, you know, making sure that we live in a, in a country, in a society where people respect that and, and, and are respectful of each other and more importantly are there to help each other. Now, I think, I think, you know, uh, we're, nowhere, we're nowhere near as bad as some of the other countries we mentioned, but it can happen really quickly. It can happen really quickly. And, you know, with the looming recession rearing its ugly head, mm. I've been through a few recessions in this country, you know, and it gets ugly. It gets ruthless. It does get ruthless and people turn on each other. People say, fuck you, I'm looking after myself. That's the one. Yeah. And that's what I'm most fearful of. I'm fearful that, the, you know, that uh, people who have will completely turn their back on the have-nots and we won't be the equitable society um, that we need to be. Well, it's all, it's, it's this all country won't prosper unless we, we help the people. That in good help. times, it, it's easy to do. When it's tough, bugger you, Jack, I'll look after myself. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, and, and, and that can creep into our society. It's interesting that we've just had a federal election and uh, the Labor Party got in yeah, with some, you know, some assistance from various other parties, you know, independents, et cetera. But I actually would make, I would say this, that with a looming recession, in terms of social interaction, if we are going to have a recession, we're better off having a recession with the Labor Party than we are with the Liberal Party, with the greatest respect to the Liberals. But I would also say we're more likely to get out of a recession with the Liberal Party than we would be with the Labor Party. <laughs> it always happens that way. We've got a recession with the Labor Party and the Libs get us out of it. And, and then, but, but because because there is a greater level of social responsibility, that is, the things you talk about, yes. helping each other, yes. looking after your community, indeed. and communities get a better look in under a Labor Party. Yes, they just, just get a better look in. And to some extent, we're not going to create our own recession. This country is going to be created by the countries of the world and yes. uh, we're gonna, we'll probably slip in a recession too like everybody else. And it's sort of a blessing, I was only thinking about it last time, it's sort of a blessing that we have Labor in the seat at the moment. It might actually destroy Labor because yeah. they'll get the blame for it. Yeah. But it's a funny thing because I know the reason you – and you just allowed – by telling me what you just told me, yeah. you've allowed me to about articulate this. Great. This is because Labor is better off at allowing us to look after our communities and pay forward and it takes the selfishness sure. out of the game. There are still left-wing – yeah. But I'll tell you one thing. So I spoke about the right wing. Now let me talk about the far left. Yeah, well, I, I'm not going far left, by the way. Well, oh, let's I'm go in the middle. far left okay. because – a strange, another strange thing has happened since I started in this industry. All of a sudden, you know, I mean, let, let me say this first. Twitter isn't real. Twitter isn't nah. the real world, okay? The Twitter sphere is not the real world. And there are people, there are, there are vocal, very vocal and powerful minority groups in this country. There are leading the general conversation in certain directions, yeah? Uh, and that's, and, and the one I'm most concerned about is freedom of speech, Okay. I wonder if a show like Wogs Out of Work could have happened in 2022. Really? Sure. I think I, I actually think I'd have a greater chance of being cancelled and shut out with a show of that. If it, let's just say it never, no one ever heard a show of that time. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Let's just pretend Wogs Out of Work never happened and all of a sudden in 2022 I got this idea to do a show called Wogs Out of Work. Do you think it would have survived? Yeah, perhaps you would have. Or do would've you can think the Twitter sphere would have shut me down? I was going to say perhaps the you would have cancelled. But how scary is that? So in 87, I'm allowed to do my thing, 87, right, 35 years ago. But yet here we are in 22 and I put that question to you and you said oh, you'd probably be cancelled. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So you would cancel a show that went on to have so much enormous influence and inspired so many other comedians, artists, you know, in terms of, you know, had so much to say about identity and racism. You'd just cancel it. Why? Because you didn't like that word. Yeah. 
You've got to let artists express themselves. Whether you like what they say or not is irrelevant. You have to let them say it. That is what democracy and what our country is built on, okay? It's, in fact, freedom of speech is in the Constitution in America, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's written in their yeah. Constitution. Yeah. yeah. No, it's written in their Bill of Rights. In the Bill of Rights. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying. Which we don't have one in Australia. Which we don't have. Yeah. Correct. So I'm seeing a lot of uh, – look, it's interesting, you know, when I first announced this film, I had a lot of my – a lot of people who follow me on social media going, oh, mate, they're going to shut you down. They're not going to let this happen. Oh, really? I said, when you say they, who are you talking about? And they don't actually know who they're talking Yeah, because they're all working under, you know, unusual names and they live in the, in the tourist sphere, as you say. They can't be identified. So people don't even – I say, who do you mean? The government? Oh, no, you know, those people. I go, what people? People can't actually tell you who those people are. But somehow those people – They exist. Have had an, exist and have had an enormous influence, you know, especially in America, in cancelling artists. Mate, not you know, with comedy, for example, here's the thing. You're not going to – look, I don't like every comedian I've ever seen. There's comedy you Comedy is very polarising in its nature, yeah? You're not going to like every comedian that you'll ever go and see, Mark. That is mm. a fact. Mm. I'm the same. You're the, everyone's the same. I know there's people out, out there who have never liked my stuff, never will. No probs. doesn't matter. There are, thank God for me, there are people that do, okay? It's allowed me to have a career. So we get to choose. I don't want other people to choose for me. I will choose what I want to see. I've got a brain. I'm a decent person. I can make up my mind whether something is genuinely offensive or not. Yeah? Mm. I don't need to be retrained. I don't need to have my kids go to school and be retrained. Does that make sense what I'm getting at? As adults, we can make up our own minds. We're a fair-minded society. We're a fair-minded country. We really are. We've been incredibly generous to the whole world, to our neighbours. Uh, a lot of people argue we, we could do more, sure. But, you know, they've certainly allowed my family to come to this country and prosper, you know, the governments of the past, the Australia of the past, and I hope that continues. Um, but insofar as the arts go, the arts industries, I'm seeing a lot of performers, particularly comedians, becoming increasingly scared. Anxious about it all. And censoring themselves. Really? Sure, mate. Absolutely. So is this a bit of a pushback? No, it's, it's a survival. They don't want to get they don't No, what get you're canceled. doing now. The, the, the... Mate, what I'm doing now is I'm saying, you know what? I've had my 35 years. I've done okay. If you cancel me now, well, I don't know what the hell you're going to cancel me for. But, I mean, but, I mean, you call me a wog, yeah? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're going to cancel me. You call me a wog and you're going to cancel me for what reason? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but you call say, me, the, the, but, but, you, but you see, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. there are people I know, mate, that are just live in fear, whether they work on radio, whether they work on TV, yeah, live in fear of having these mobs come after them. You just see it. It's not, they don't speak as openly and as honestly as they once did. So do you think? And I think that's a real loss. That's 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 that goes against our whole culture. What, what's the problem? Is it wog boys? Is it the boys or is it the wogs? I mean, is it because you don't have women in there? What is it? What, what do you think it, it could? Or do you, or do you going to get through the gate because of provenance? Because you know you've got all the previous shows. And- <laughs> I don't, I, mate, look, look. You know what? I funded I funded this film privately. You you personally funded for you? No 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 with investors. With, with investors, private, yes, yeah. with private investors. 
I'll give you one good example. Both Screen Australia and Film Victoria, I went to them for, for grant funding. Yep. They knocked me back. Wow. Yeah. Was that because you've been too successful or something? I don't know. You'd have to ask them. I mean, the sense I got was that they didn't want another Wogboy film. Right. Even though the two Wogboy films prior to it have made over $25 million at the Australian box office. twenty five Over $25 million, CPI adjusted, yeah? Yep. Over $25 million, CPI adjusted at the box office. Even though, you know, there's a huge demand for another one. Okay. So that's all right. Okay. It wasn't that much money. I was, I was going for minimal amounts of money. I just went back out to the private, you know, marketplace and found other investors who were more than keen. So I was lucky enough to be in that position to do that. And the other thing that helped me enormously was the uh, the offset, the producer offset, where, whereby whatever expenditure we spend uh, that's qualifying Australian expenditure, we get it back in terms of a rebate, 40% rebate from the tax office. Is it something to do like content? Is it, is it, is it- yes. It's, yeah. Whatever money you spend that is qualifying Australian production expenditure in your budget, yep. you get forty up to 40% of that back. Right, like right? it's an yeah, incentive. Yep. Yeah, but what you can do is you can cash flow that uh, rebate, Yep. you see? Yep. So you get the certificate, you know you're going to get the rebate, yep. so you can cash flow that. Which means you can borrow against it. Yeah, yeah or someone will fund it. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yep. Yep. In which, But in this case, I funded it because the um, the interest rates were too high and the film couldn't afford it. So I actually cash flowed it for nothing, yep. zero. This is what it takes to make a film in Australia. Screen Australia, Film Victoria, I created 350 jobs. 350 jobs, film industry jobs in Victoria during COVID. Uh, we shot during COVID. But Film Victoria, which is a state government funded body, were not interested in even giving me $200,000. Okay? Yeah. So I think they were trying to give me a message. I think the message, I, I heard the message loud and clear. Nah, that Wogboy stuff 2022, nah, doesn't cut it anymore. That's what I reckon the message was. I really do. In terms of your investors, then, did you get any pushback from what you would have be what you would have considered to be a no brainer investor, or did you did everybody jump on it? May I had to knock investors back. Right. <laughs> I wanted to make the film, so you know, I I had more than enough money to pro- which is fine. So you know, that's so the fine. private market but backed the, what the, you're doing. The grant money was not about that. It was about me, you know, I mean, seeing Liam Neeson come to you know to Melbourne with an American film and get uh, the location offset. Money, yeah, totally. Which is a 30, I'm saying, hang on, Liam Neeson comes here and gets a 30% 30% tax, you know, offset. Oh, well, look at the stuff up in Queensland and Ballon and all yeah. those other areas in yeah. Coffs Harbour. They've been doing Okay, I'm an Australian filmmaker, you know. If I get that 200 grand, I'll put it on top of the private investment yeah. and try and make the film even better, maybe even create a few more jobs. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. No. You, no. Screen Australia, based in Canberra, national body. Same thing, no. If it wasn't for the offset that I mentioned before, the producer offset, Wogboys Forever would not have got made. It would not have got made. So now look, we are going wide, over 300 locations across Australia as an Australian film. So without the help of the government, with the exception of the offset, I've gone and raised my own money. Oh, the other thing I did was I didn't take my fees, Mark. I put my all my fees as a producer, writer, and actor went back in as equity. You understand? Yep. So I get you paid reinvested. out. Yep. Yeah. So I get paid out my money, and then I put it straight back yep. in as and, equity. And, in the and, then, and then the equity gets to fund everybody else. Correct. So I have not made one cent out of this film. So you're back in it. In order to, well, it's, I, I need to get it made. Mm. Okay. So, and I need to get it made for a certain budget. So I do everything I can as a producer to make that happen. That's what I have to do. And I have the means to fund the offset. So I've saved us 70, 80 grand in costs, funding costs. 
Interest. Interest, thank you. Um, so Screen Australia say no, the offset. So it's going to go 300-something locations across Australia. And we're talking, I mean, I did, I've been doing interviews with far north Queensland, Tasmania, you, all corners of this country. Australian audiences are going to get to see an Australian film on Australian screens, yeah? Made by Australians. Made by Australian filmmakers, wholly, independently, no studio. But regardless of how much money Wog Boys Forever goes on to make, um, and knock on wood, I hope I didn't jinx myself, you know what will be the highest grossing Australian film of the year? Elvis. <laughs> yeah? Elvis. Now, I liked Elvis. Good film. Baz is a great filmmaker. But it's a Hollywood studio film. Yeah? So I'm not competing with other small independents. I'm competing with Elvis, mate. So I could have used that 200000 grand from Phil Victoria and that $300,000 grand answer. It would have really helped. Just to give that film that extra polish, you know? Would have, fun, film, would have funded the interest three times over. Thank you. But no, no, mate. I didn't get I didn't get that. Even though I'm a successful producer, over 25 million box office, over six million people have seen The Wog Boy. I mean, it's one of an iconic Australian film. No. But no. do you but do this you think, body of six people decided no. But do you think it's because um they consider there's something very uncool about the title and or they the made theme? They didn't make a business decision. They made a political decision. Right. That's my point. Yeah. Now, that's taxpayer money, your money, my money, anybody's money, yeah? Why are you making political decisions? On behalf of me. So this is what I'm talking about. This is cancer culture working quietly Yeah. in the background, yeah? So there are people in positions who take it upon themselves to decide what sort of art they want to see, what sort of films they want to see. Nah, nah, we don't want to see another Wog Boy. Nah, 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 nah. Sorry, Nick, not giving you any money. Had to be that. If they wanted to see another Wog Boy, I would have got the grant. Or it could be that it could be a matter. I'm not trying to make sure. Well, you, they say, oh, you're rich enough to go do it yourself. Oh, oh, hang on. But it could be a matter they don't want the anxiety of people ringing them up and say, why the fuck did you fund another? Why did you, <laughs> fuck, did, why did you fuck did fund another movie Mark, like that? You might be 120% correct. You know, they might have been talking to their family or someone said, you joke, you can't, you can't get out and say that. You can't uh, use the words wog boy. You can't run that thematic again. I mean, that's quite possible. But that, I, that's the wrong Maybe reason. it was too commercial as well. Let me throw that in. Yeah. You know, there's a real, yeah. So. I'm really worried. I'm worried that the young Nick Giannopoulos, wherever they are out there, who have this crazy idea for a movie like I did for Wog Boy, are not going to get anywhere in terms of film funding or anything, yeah? Um, they're going to end up on Facebook or on, uh, which which is where they are, making short videos for YouTube. Facebook, YouTube, yeah. I'm so glad I came from an era where I had that opportunity, you know? But I'm really fearful that in 2022 there are political decisions being made insofar as to who gets the money and who doesn't that are aligned with that particular body's political beliefs. It shouldn't work that way. There have to be films for everybody, yeah? There's got to be a wider rate. There's got to be, you've got to have your wog boys and you've got to have these ones. You've got to have that, you've got to have that, yeah? You, if you start making all the same type of films with all the same kind of inherent political ideology, I don't think that's going to work. In fact, it hasn't worked. And what would you say to some young Nick Genopolis? Because we're diverse. Here? What do you say to a young Nick Genopolis who's Mate, get your iPhone and get yourself on Twitter. Uh, get yourself on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. And, but, that's what the Superwog boys did. Yeah. That's how they became yeah. known. That's what Sushi Mango, who were in my film, yep, did. Yep. That's how I noticed them. They don't have the ways and means. Because 
It's too scary now. It's too scary for funding bodies. You know, it's got to tick all the, whatever those boxes are, you don't get a piece of paper that they say, here's what the boxes are. You've got to, I don't know what they are. No one's ever shown me that paper, but they're there. Trust me, they're there. Yeah. Ask that body of people what they are and let's see if they're brave enough to let us know and be honest about it. So just tell us, what does it have to be? And I will make my argument with you and say that Wog Boys Forever is all of those things. Yeah, you're prepared Inclusive, to Yes. I have people from 30, 40 different backgrounds in my film. It's probably the most multicultural film you're going to see. Yeah. Racist? No, it's anti-racist. I just spoke about, about it at length. So what are the boxes exactly? That's all I want to know. That's fine. I got my film made, you know. I went around, I did what I had to do as a producer, and I got my film up. Are you happy with it? Does it look good? Mate, it's a, I'm, we had screenings in Melbourne last week um, at the Palais Theatre, which I turned into a cinema again. We had four screenings, all sold out. And uh, to hear 3,000 people laughing en masse was the most, I mean, it was the most exhilarating experience. And I'm getting a lot of people on my social media saying, um, you know, um, we love it more than the first film. It's got more heart and lots of laughs. And when's it hit the screens officially? Well. Can you tell us? You have got an Australian film opening wide, which doesn't happen that often, Mark. This is this is a dinosaur thing, right? Uh, nationwide, across Australia, on October the 6th, everyone. Go to your local cinema, support Aussie film, and more importantly, um, go because you will be entertained and uh, you will laugh. And, and when you say your local time. movie centre or movie yeah, theatre, what, 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 what do you mean by that? Like well, the, Hoyts, the local Hoyts, the local Grady. Whatever, yeah. 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 Your local, local independent in, yeah. your, in your country town, you know, okay. wherever. Beautiful, fantastic. You know, just, That's the best. Yeah, you know what? Instead of a Marvel movie or an Avenger, whatever, just that one weekend, just go, yeah, let's go have a good old Aussie laugh, yeah. you know, at a really typical Aussie comedy, which is what this is. Mate, it's larrikin through and through. It's knockabout larrikin, but with a strong message. Like all the great, whether it's a Priscilla, whether it's a Muriel, whether it's a castle, whether it's a wog boy, you know, that's what the that's what Australian comedy is. Yeah? Would you agree with that? Yeah, 100%. And that's why all, they do. All of those. And because we're a country that just loves taking the mickey out of ourselves, that's why I've always truly believed that comedy will always do really well. Australian comedy will always do really well. If, if it's given the opportunity. If there's people in those funding bodies with enough balls and guts like Katrina Hughes had in me when I went to her with the Wog Boy in 1998. She said, the assessors all said, no, nah, no, nah, we don't want to make this. And Katrina Hughes, who was the chairperson at the time, said, no, nah, I believe in this film. I'm backing it. And she put her hand up. She put in half the money on behalf of Screen Australia. I put in the other half of the money. And that's how Wog Boy got made. One person. One person who said, no, nah, I believe in it. And sometimes, you know what, Mark, that's all it takes, one person. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. I'm just scared now. I'm just scared that uh, I'm just scared that maybe those people aren't around anymore. Those people with the sense and the ability to just say, no, nah, I get it. I see what this is. And the guts. And the guts, man. It takes guts to make yeah. those decisions. Totally. Encouraged. And she Lots also did Muriel's Wedding. She commissioned Muriel's Wedding. Yeah. I mean, the line of films that Katrina Hughes was responsible for, there's a whole litany of great Australian comedies and dramas through that period when she was at Screen Australia, yeah? And that says a lot, you know? And, you know, um, we know what I would say. I'd hate to see everything just go to streaming. Don't you love going to cinema? Yeah, I love it. I, and I was going to say to you, um, something that we don't do enough of is actually 
go to the cinema, but take someone along who's never seen anything like this before, like a kid, a young kid or Absolutely. a teenager, and introduce them to it. And just and and explain. And then hear his accent on the screen. The whole thing, like just not Spider Man. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, Aussie. Yeah, suburbs. Yeah. God, that's my that's my voice. That's that's our faces. That's our like. That's our homes. That's our cities. Just don't gather with your partner because it's something you're familiar with. Take someone along with you who's never seen this sort of shit before. And watch That's a great laugh. suggestion. I like that idea. That is a great idea. And I love seeing that when it happens. And I, and I hear from those people, oh, yeah, my wife brought me along for I like it, but I loved it. Yeah, yeah. be, you know, hey, you might be surprised. i got someone in mind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go watch it, but I'm going to, I've got a, there's a young fellow I'm going to take with me. He's, he's only 13. Fantastic. Take, take him, he would never have seen something like this before. And I'll, what I'm going to wind him up a little bit and, uh, you know, get him to do a bit of research on the internet and sort of check you out in your previous Great. Uh, shows. Great. And, but I'm going to I'm gonna definitely take him along. And uh, it's – by the way, and I was just thinking about him, it's all foreign to his life, Yeah. Th- this type of show. Yeah. He is a marvel. He is uh, – Yeah, of course. He's in all that sort of stuff. Yeah, he's a fanboy. Yeah, yeah. totally. But I'll, I'm definitely going to take him in and uh, – Great. I, I'm going to get your mobile number. I'm going to – from the from the crew here. And Great. I'm going to – I'll give you some feedback on what just that one person says. I really want to do it. I'm looking so forward to doing So there's a young that. kid. There's a 12-year-old kid. His parents bring him along to the Palais Theatre to see Wild Boys Forever, right? Never seen any of my stuff, right? And uh, <clears throat> I meet them later. And this kid's just looking up at me, you know? He's just looking at me. I said, how would you enjoy it? He goes, that was amazing. He goes, I've never heard an Australian accent at the cinema before. And if there's one thing, just that one little thing that can make a difference, maybe it's that. Maybe that little kid hearing his accent on the screen just changed his life forever. I don't know. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mate, they keep talking about, you know, we've got to keep our cultural voice alive. We've got to keep our identity. Well, hey, man, this is how you do it. There's no more influential art form than films. Filmmaking is, mate, it goes all over the world. I sell my films to 40, 50 countries around the world. You know, it's not just Australia. It's an international medium that's loved around the world, yeah? So if you're if you're really honest about, you know, I mean, well, now's the time to do something about it, mate, because it's dying. It's dying. Cinema, Australian films and cinema are dying. Cinema being going to the cinema. Going, no, Australian films in cinemas. Yeah. are all going to streaming. Right, okay. Because distributors don't want to take the risks on them anymore because P&A has gone up so much. It's very risky. And so I've got ideas how to fix that. If anyone wants to listen to me from the government, you call me. I've got a great idea on how to create a P&A fund that's not a loan, like the one that currently exists, okay, governed by an independent body of industry professionals. What's a P&A? What's a P&A? Prints and advertising. Right. The, the most challenging thing for a film is the marketing budget. Right. It costs an enormous amount um, because the nature of film is that opening weekend. And everything, it's not like you've got six months to sell this product, yeah? Yeah. You've got those two weeks leading up to opening weekend and you've got to throw everything at it. Buses, trams, billboards, outdoor, TV, radio, you've got to do everything, yeah? You've got to hire the best PR people, the best part, because you are competing on that bus with the latest Marvel film. Yeah. That is the thing that's holding back Australian films. No one knows they're on. And more importantly, Australian distributors, and I don't blame them, they're running a business. They're more prepared to sell it straight to a streamer for a guaranteed amount of money and not have to spend any marketing dollars than to take the risk and put it through that process. You get what I'm saying? Yep. And why wouldn't you? If I owned a distribution company, I'd be doing the same thing. If you're not sure about a title, you know, I mean, Kismet have been fantastic with World Boy. They've fully believed in it from day one and they've backed it to the hilt, yeah, which is why it's got a shot. But a lot of other Australian films don't get that shot 
for that reason. Kismet being Kismet Productions. My distrib- yeah, Kismet yeah. Movies. Movies. My, my yeah, I know. Yeah. Mate, uh, streaming's fine, but if streaming's like a like this mash pool. You know, I mean, try and find a title on streaming. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this massive pool of everything, you know. It sort of gets dropped in there and gets lost. But exhibition, the, the exhibition window is unique because of that coverage that it gets, you know, as a cinema title. I mean, you can't buy that. You can't buy that sort of marketing or that word of mouth or that, you know, and that helps all the other windows. That will help the streaming window, the video on demand window, all the other windows that come after it. It's a very, very important part of the whole ecosystem. Yeah, you understand what I'm getting yeah, yeah, yep. In terms of making money. Yep. So you're The a, less yep. windows you have, the less money you're going to make. That's what the old studio moguls used to say in the 30s. The more windows you have, the more opportunities for someone to, to, to spend their money on that film, the more money you're going to make. Well, there's no greater opportunity, even after COVID. I don't buy all that. People are going to stop it going. I don't believe that. If TV didn't kill cinema going, COVID won't kill it. Mm. It will It will survive. It will survive. In what form? Maybe a bit smaller, but it will survive. But that window, like me now, the week before my film comes out nationally on October 6th, you know, here I am on your show talking about it, you know. Here we are all getting excited about getting out on that weekend and seeing it. You know, there's nothing like it. That has to survive. If Australian films don't continue to be shown in cinemas and get that get that opportunity, they will get lost. And therefore, and then a whole and their industry, relevance would become diminished, and a whole industry will die. Well, no, it won't die because the Americans are more than happy to come here and take the uh, the location offset money that we're offering them and make their films in Queensland. Yeah, with the it, premier standing next to them with their armor. Last story. So that Liam Neeson will go back yep. to that while I was shooting it. You know, knowing that. I didn't receive my money. There's this huge news story where all these politicians come out to have their photo taken with Liam Neeson. And I said, that's why Liam got the money. Yeah. <laughs> they wanted a photo with him. They wanted a photo with Liam, you know? Well, it's a bit like Shaquille coming out the other day and getting his photograph. Like, I, I just couldn't believe it. Like, like he's just here doing a television ad for, uh, you know. For a gambling for house. gambling house. Yeah. And, uh, and I just thought, well, it's amazing. And here I am, or well, here you are. Having to come and see me and others, you, I'm sure you're on the road doing this everywhere. I'm doing everything. Anyone yep. who wants to talk to me, I'm talking to them. And here Spoke you to are. a girl from Aubrey this morning. Yep. You know, another girl from, uh, you know, mate, I'll talk to anyone. Yeah. If it means I can get another bum on a seat, yeah, that's totally. what i got to do. That's my job, you know. And more importantly, I do want to see Australian. I mean, I love Australian movies. I really do. I want to. I don't want to see the film industry become a backlot for America, you know. Our crews love working on Australian films. Our filmmakers love making Australian films. You know, it'll be a really sad day. I mean, I, I, my parents come from a country that lost their film industry, Greece. Greece had one of the most thriving film industries in the world in the 50s and 60s. And uh, they didn't look after it and it disappeared. It's disappeared. It's coming back slowly um, in the shape of art house and independent films. But that massive commercial, um, you know, distribution system of Greek films they had in the 50s and 60s, Disappeared. And now the only Greek films they see on TV are those old black and white Greek films. You know I what saw, I'm talking about? I saw about? a very, very great, good movie, a Greek, Greek made film yeah. called Eleni. Yeah. About, um, about the communists and the fascists who were sort of um, yeah, right. fighting each other in the Civil War. And, um, and I went with my whole family. My cousins, all my cousins, right. my 36 cousins, all my cousins and uncles and aunties, right. everybody turned up. Great. And uh, and I often wonder why whatever happened to those style of movies. So you're saying the Greek movie industries, mate? It, it yeah. It, there's a very there's a very sad story behind it. I mean, uh, you know, the studios. I mean, a lot of Greeks left for a start. Yeah. A lot of Greeks left Greece 
um, you know, in the 70s and 60s, and a lot of the artists left, you know, and um, and the government didn't support it. Of course, you had the the uh, the junta that happened yep. in the 60s. I mean, the communists weren't going to support it. They just wanted to see communist songs and communist movies. And it just died, man. It just died. And then the um, the cinemas in, in Greece just started replacing them all with American movies from the 70s, yeah? yeah? So all those Greek picture houses that used to show at least one different Greek movie a week, they started screening American movies. And, you know, as soon as they started dubbing the American movies with Greek actors, what's the difference? Yeah. Yeah? It's a John White with a Greek accent. Hello, partner. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like that can happen now, here. And we've got to be careful. We do. If you Look, if people care enough about, you know, having an industry, yeah, we do. We've got to support it. We've got to support it. We've got to nurture it. And we've got to and we've got to create better avenues for our filmmakers to get their vision across, to to have the opportunity to make Australian films with their own vision and without interference. You know well, what I mean? For me, Nick, it's been a this has been a, a real revelation for me, to be honest with you, to, to to sit down and talk to you like this and and hear what you've got to say. But for me, given what you've said, I find it absolutely compelled. To not only go to the movie, to a new movie, <laughs> Wog Boys Forever, but I, when it opens up on the 6th of October, but actually to take a couple of people with me. And and actually then I want them to listen to this show to see why you made it. Thank you. And what it's all about. Do me a favour. I'll I give you my do. number. You text me. Let me know what they oh, Totally. All right. Nick Giannopoulos. Let me know. Thanks very much, mate. Mate, thank you, mate. I've, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the chat. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Straight Talk with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistance, Simon McDermott. This is a Mentored Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.